Good morning. You guys doing well? You look great. You're singing good. I, uh, when Pastor Donnie asked about football, I got to tell you, honestly, my wife literally this week said, can I ask you a question? I said, sure. Are you going to be okay without football season? <laughs> I said, no. <laughs> Help me. Oh, I love it. Did you watch the game? How many of you are happy with the result of the game? Okay. Okay. I see we have a church split right here, right now. Uh, yeah, it's always tough. It's always tough, but I'm just glad the Broncos won again. You know, I, when they're not playing, I always watch the, the little tape I have of the winning uh, back, you know, a couple, couple decades ago. Uh, and so I'm always happy on Super Bowl Sunday, no matter what, because I don't live in reality. Uh, it's so good to see you. I mean, it really is. We're glad to have you here. Uh, I've already met a bunch of new people this weekend, and thanks for coming and checking out Timberline. A lot of great churches around northern Colorado. We're so happy to just be a part of the kingdom. Sometimes people say, how many churches in northern Colorado? I'd say, well, one. <laughs> His, right? So uh, that's, that's how it works. I, uh, I got to tell you some bad news, though. Man, this is tough. It's actually really good news, but it's sad to me because he has been a friend and a confidant in my life. But we have a pastor on staff who's been here 32 years that's going to retire. Any guesses? Steve Harris. Yeah, put the picture up. And uh, Steve and Sherry have been here a very long time. If you've been in the hospital, you know this face. All right? Uh, he's done a lot of marriage counseling, weddings, funerals, uh, benevolence. And uh, he, he came to me here a while back and said, man, I'm going to turn 70 in March. And um, I think I need to retire and do some things I want to do. And I said, I agree. I don't want you to, but I agree. So we're not going to really celebrate it today. I just want you to be informed so you can, you know, take him to dinner and give him money and all that stuff. But <laughs> Whatever it is you need to do with him. Uh, <laughs> but on April 20 and 21, it's a weekend, we're going to actually open up the South Auditorium and have some cake and cookies and stuff. And so after each service, you can kind of file through and, you know, harass him. And, and Sherry as well, okay? And so they're going to live here. They're going to stay here, keep their home here, go to church here. So that's a win for all of us. Uh, but he just thinks it's, it's time. So that's that. Fitting that we're talking about relationships uh, today. Now, here's, here's what I did. You know, we're in Mark going through just verse by verse in the gospel of Mark, and I just, I've called this relationships dot, dot, dot. It's complicated. How many of you, don't raise your hand to this, but you have some relationship in your life right now, and it's just complicated. I said don't raise your hand, but you can if you want to, <laughs> if you feel the need. Can I just say every one of us, every one of us, some are more extreme than others, no doubt, but if you have a relationship with anybody, you have some complications in it. And it's challenging. I, I, was, I was reading a, a bumper sticker the other day that I, I wish I could remember exactly what it said. But it said something like, I, I think I love my pet more than I do my family, or something crazy like that. It was terrible. 
And I, I, it might have been a joke, I don't know, but I kind of don't think it was. I think, I think there's people out there. And, you know, you think about pets, you know, I mean, I, particularly dogs. I mean, cats aren't really pets. I mean, <laughs> right? No one owns a cat. Come on, come on. I know you love your cat. I get it. They just don't love you that much. So in cat church, they say, how many of you have a human? You know, anyway. But, you know, they're always happy to see you, right? They are. They're always happy to see you. And the dog's tail is wagging, and, and they never disappoint and all that stuff. And, and at least that's what we think. But in, in humankind, in human relationships, we have, we have issues. And we have free will. And we have challenges because we can't control everybody. And we need to control people, especially those people. Especially my kids, especially my grandkids, especially those people I work with, especially that one person. They don't listen to me. <laughs> this could go on and on, but let me just keep moving. Last weekend, if you missed it, watch it online. Pastor McKenzie, phenomenal job. Um, she was ta- taking us into the Garden of Gethsemane. That's where we are in Mark chapter 14. And it's that place in the Bible where the disciples, the 12 are with Jesus, and they go into that garden, and he says, would you pray with me? And he goes a little farther, and they say, sure. And he comes back in a little while, and they have what? They've fallen asleep. And Jesus says, whoa, 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 hey, hey, wake up. This is important. You're my friends. Um, could you pray a little bit? This is like the whole world sin is on me. I could use some help. He goes away, comes back in an hour, and they're asleep again. Third time he comes back, they're asleep again. And he says, basically, this is in Mark 14, verse 41. This is what he says. When Jesus returned to them the third time, he said, go ahead and sleep. Have your rest. But no, the time has come. Now, this is interesting that all the times before this moment in the garden, anytime they wanted Jesus to do something, you know what his answer was? My time has not yet come. King James says, my hour is not yet come. Look it up. It's there. On and on, over and over and over. But now, in this moment, he says, my time is come. The Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Up. Let's be going. Look. My betrayer is here. So this is part two of last weekend. Is that okay? We're picking it up right there. I don't know how else to do it. Number one in your outline, if you have the church app, you can follow along or if you picked up a sheet or it'll be on the screen. Number one is one of the 12. So when I was studying all this out, building this outline, I could not get past this. How many of you know what one of the 12 in quotes is referring to? The disciples, right? One of the 12. Let's just read the verse. It's simple. It says, and immediately, this is the very next verse of what I just read. My betrayer is coming. And immediately, even as Jesus said this, Judas, one of the 12, say it with me, one of the 12 arrived with a crowd of men armed with swords and clubs. Okay, 
I would be okay with this verse if it said like one of the scribes, one of the Pharisees, um, one of the Sadducees, one of the religious leaders, anybody except one of the twelve. These are his best friends. One of the twelve, I mean, these are disciples. They have been three years together, traveling, doing ministry. They've seen him do miracles. They've had meals together. They've watched him walk on the water in a storm. They've, they've seen all one of the twelve. I was really struck by this. I, I just couldn't get past it. Are you kidding me? This is such a tight circle. And all I'm saying is, this is hard. Don't underestimate this moment in the life of Jesus. We think, oh, he's God, he's fine. No, he's not fine. This is a blow to the sucker, it's the sucker punch. It's like, here he is, my betrayer is here, and he's one of you guys. Wow. Number two, I want to talk about behind the scene power. Probably more appropriately, the power behind the scene. I get it for you English teachers. But I just want to say, I put it like this because there's a scene happening and there's something going on in this power ban. Let me read it. It says, they had been sent. Who's the they? What, what did we just read? It's the guys with clubs and swords. Okay, keep that in your mind as we read through this. The guys with clubs and swords had been sent by leading priests, the teachers of religious law, and the elders. Who is the they? It's, it's unlikely. You can, look, you can research this out. This is, it's very unlikely that these are Roman soldiers. Everyone assumes it's like the Roman guard brigade. No, it isn't. I don't think it is. Because it would say that if it, if it was. It's, it's, it's a mob. It's, it's guys, there, there's, this, there's this, you know, church temple kind of army, like a security team, and they rally around when they need some thugs to do the business of the, the priests, and they're a bunch of guys with swords and, and clubs, and it's a make-believe army that work simply in the Jewish world, okay? Rome would not do a favor for the Jewish people in this culture. So a bunch of thugs come, and they are the people with the clubs and the swords. And I'm not even sure that a lot of those guys realized what they were doing. They were probably just hired to go arrest this guy. You want to go, Joe? Sure. How about you? You want to go? Bring that big club you have. Bring a sword. And there might be a fight. Okay. Let's go. Let's go get him. You know who he is? No. It's just, it's just a crowd of people who are coming to do damage. And, I, and it begs the question, I want you to just think about this. What is the motive behind your behavior? Do you think these, these guys, these thugs, had a personal agenda to hurt Jesus? I don't. And yet they did this. Do you ever get caught up in something you're not even certain why and you question, why am I so involved? Why do I care about this? I ask the question, what is driving you today? Who are the they in your life? Have you guys ever heard the word, words peer pressure? 
If I looked at your social media feed, would I find some themes? What, who's, whose opinion are you following? What's creating behavior now in your life and in your world? Peer pressure is real. And, and I, I think these thugs are doing this just because they're told to do it, and it's going to impact Jesus. I remember one time when peer pressure got me. I was not swayed a lot in my life by peer pressure, but I was a few times, and one of them was at Lake Powell. How many of you have been there? Lake Powell has a lot of cliffs around it. It's wonderful for cliff jumping. If you've not been to Lake Powell, just put it on your bucket list. It is a great place, okay? And there were four of us that climbed up this, this sandy cliff to actually get to the other side where we wanted to be, but we got to the top of it, and it was tall. They, a guy measured it. We had two 50-foot ski ropes, and they actually put them both together, and it was like four feet off the ground. So we know it was like 104 feet tall. And we're all standing up there, no intention, obviously, of jumping, but some boats started stopping. All the boats in the channel started coming over. And there's like 20 boats stopped looking up. And, and they start hollering, are you guys going to jump? <laughs> no. And Greg, my friend, who is a state champion wrestler, tough as a nail, this kid, says, Yes! Cameras start coming out. The boats are coming. They all wanted to see us die. All of them. All of them. And I'm thinking, you're crazy. And we had these little cushions about this big, and we would take them with us to stand on them because the rocks were really hot. And then we would throw them before we would jump, and then there would be a little pad for us to hold on to, a little life jacket. He grabs his cushion and throws it, and it just twirls for 18 minutes. <laughs> All of a sudden, you see it hit the water, and then you hear. <laughs> and he jumps. And he comes up out of the water and says, don't jump. <laughs> and the boat people said, are you going to jump? And we said, Yes! I was next. I have a picture in my office that someone took of this. I'm so glad I have it. And it's this big cliff, and I'm this little blonde-headed dude going, I'm going to die. Why did I jump? If no one had been there, if there were no boats, I was by myself walking, would I have jumped? No. I have a brain. The point is, Sometimes in our lives, we do things we wouldn't ordinarily do. Why, why are you so opinionated about that? Well, because all my friends have told me, well, have you looked into it for yourself? What is behind the scene in your life? I just want, I just want to put that out there and have you think about it today because it, it falls into the next point I want to make. Number three, up close and personal. Let's get up close and personal in this story. You can't get any more personal than someone who's about to betray you that you thought you could believe in. In verse 44, it says, the traitor, Judas, 
He happened to be one of the 12, right? If you're not familiar with the Gospels, he's one of the 12 disciples. He had given them a prearranged signal. You will know which one to arrest when I get to him. I will greet him with a kiss. Then you can take him away under guard. As soon as they arrived, Judas walked up to Jesus, Rabbi, he exclaimed, and greeted him with a kiss. This was a common greeting, so that was no big deal. The kiss itself, it was what they did all the time. But this also is very important if you're not familiar with the gospel. This was the dark of night. And, and still, even to this day, but especially in Jesus' day, they had this outer garment, it was called. It was like a cloak. And all, all of the rabbis and most of the Jewish men all wore the same, maybe not exactly, but close to the same thing. And they all had beards. And they looked very similar in that sense. Not as a stereotype, but just when it's black as night and dark and you can't see and everyone has the same beard, they, they're not going to know who to arrest. Why? They probably, a lot of those thugs didn't even know who Jesus was. And so he gives them a greeting with a kiss and they know immediately who it is and they're going to charge in and take him. It was all prearranged. Very, very sad. What is the motive of Judas? I've, I've only spoken on Judas a couple times in, in all these years in ministry, but, but I, I would say this, if you research his life, you'll see some scholars will tell you that he was impatient and he wanted to force Jesus to set up his kingdom now. And so they offered him some money and he thought, wow, I, I, don't, I don't know if it's the money that motivated him, it might have been, but, but I think it was more than that. I think he thought, if I can create a scenario where Jesus has to respond with his power, he's going to knock them all down with his power, and we're going we're gonna to set up our kingdom here on earth in which I'm one of the 12, I will get to rule. Because they were always, the disciples were always arguing about who was the greatest, who's going to sit on his right. They all thought that he was going to set up his kingdom on the earth, right? So he's probably trying to force it. Do you ever get in a hurry? How many, of you, how many of you suggest to God what he should be doing? If you're God, you really need to be doing, take a look at this. We all do. I think that's, that's partly what Judas is doing here. Some say he did want the money. I don't know that I believe that because he gave it all back. I, I think he had no idea the consequence of his action, which is usually true for most of us when, when we go south in a relationship. But there's a few things that I think we can learn from this. And one of them is, what kind of conversations are you having with people that are influencing you in a way that you shouldn't be influenced? Do you think Judas just had this random idea and found a priest and said, hey, for 30 pieces of silver, I'll give you Jesus? I don't think so. I think someone approached him and said, aren't you one of those guys that hang out with Jesus? And and he had a conversation. And I, and I, just, I just need us to pause and, and say, who, who's in your life that's influencing you in that way that might not be so, oh, it does, it's not going to matter. It's just a little thing. It's just, we, I, we could just use your help in this. It's just a few hundred dollars here or there. It's not really tax evasion. It's not really embezzlement. 
It's not. It's not. It's, this is how all of it starts. It's, it's greed. It's fueled by that. And, and all of a sudden, I'm having these conversations, and it's getting weird. And, and I know I'm not supposed to be dragged into that, but suddenly I'm there. Who am I hanging out with that's, that's speaking things into me? We're in election year. What are you listening to? Who are you influenced by? Who are you becoming? My mom one time, I had some friends over to the house. I was probably, I don't know, 15. My dad had died when I was 14. There's five of us kids. And I did have one friend who was, he cussed a lot. He had a lot of issues. And, and my mom noticed him and said, I, I like that you're trying to be his friend. Does he need a friend? And I said, well, kind of he does. And she said, well, it's good you're being his friend. But just remember, you will eventually become like the people you hang out with. I'm not going to be like him. Really? If you have no other voice, if you give yourself to that feed, <laughs> you're putting yourself in harm's way. If you're still with me, say yes. <laughs> Some of you are getting really quiet, like, okay. <laughs> I want you to think about it because you, I, think, I think Judas was sort of tricked into becoming something he didn't want to be. You've been there. I think I've been there where I'm like, I'm, I'm not liking this me that I'm becoming. What am, I, what am I feeding this for? Number four, great, great motive, unhealthy action in the story. Great motive, very unhealthy action. We're about to see someone try to take matters into their own hands. And this is kind of a, this not, it's not funny, ha-ha funny, but it's interesting that Mark's gospel, the way Mark writes, is fast and furious. He doesn't give you details. He just says it like, like this verse right here. He says, Then the others grabbed Jesus and arrested him, but one of the men with Jesus pulled out his sword, struck the high priest's slave, slashing off his ear. And then that's all he says. Who was the guy? Anybody remember? Peter. <laughs> Most scholars believe that Peter influenced the writing of Mark's gospel. And so maybe when he got to this verse, Peter said, don't put my name in there. It's very, very possible. Now, I'm not making this up. But if you go back to John chapter 18, John talks about details, verse 10, and he says this, same story, same exact scenario. Then Simon Peter, having a sword, drew it and struck the high priest's servant and cut off his right ear. That's specific. The servant's name was Malchus. That's how Malchus got his name in the Bible. It's kind of eerie. <laughs> I couldn't pass that up, you guys. I just couldn't. It's perfect. I almost didn't do that, but aren't you glad I did? Honestly, I'm not. See, Peter was going on the offensive. Peter was saying, this is not going to happen. Judas is making it happen by cooperating with the high priest and the Jewish leadership. But, but Peter is shocked, and he just pulls out his sword. He doesn't ask questions. And of all things, it's Peter. He's impulsive. He, he definitely has the right motive, but he definitely doesn't have the right action. And Jesus, at this point, I, just, I think he's like, okay, Judas, one of the 12, betrays me. And then Peter, who is like my right-hand man, is going to kill a guy. Oh, 
I just need to go back in the womb and start all over. Boy, there's a great lesson here about how my motives need to be balanced with my appropriate response in life when I'm angry, when I'm frustrated, when there's injustice. Was there injustice here? Oh, yeah. Was Peter trying to help? Yeah. Was he trying to protect Jesus? Yes. He just didn't go about, go about it the right way, and he overreacted. Number five, unseen injustice. Now, we have to talk about this little verse for just a second. Um, because Jesus is making a point to the leaders, to the mob, and to the, the priests who were there having him arrested. It's like there's a, there's a moment here when Jesus heals he puts the ear back on, if you, if you didn't know that. He, he picks up the ear off the ground, puts it back on Malchus's head, and heals him. And he says, Jesus asks them, am I some dangerous revolutionary that you come with swords and clubs to arrest me? Why didn't you just show up yesterday? <laughs> Basically, this is what he's saying. Why didn't you just come to the temple? I've been there all week, every day. But these things are happening to fulfill the scriptures and what they say about me. He's trying to make the point that this is so shameful. You guys got this mob and you come in darkness. You come in violence. I was just standing over there in the temple a couple days ago. Every day for a week you could have just walked up and said, follow me. And I would have. Can I just say overreaction is a part of our nature? And when we want to push a point, it's so often in our lives that we just go too far. You can go too far in how you, you despise someone, how you discipline your kids, what you say about another person when you're wounded. It just goes too far. Think about your responses in your life. Jesus is just trying to make that point. Why now? Why at night? Why the weapons? Why the display of power and force? You didn't need it and you know it. This was done because of the shame that was involved and they knew what they were doing was wrong and they needed to hide it. People do evil deeds at night more than they do in the day because it feels more hidden. That's even scriptural. And then Jesus says the prophecies, and, and that's true. Like, like there's several prophecies this could relate to. In, in Isaiah 53, for instance, verse 3, it says, Jesus was despised, he was rejected, a man of sorrows, acquainted with deepest grief. We turned our backs on him and looked the other way. You guys, this is hundreds of years before this incident. He was despised and we did not care. You jump down to verse 8, unjustly condemned, he was led away exactly what happened and it wasn't just number six the harsh reality the harsh reality of what is all happening is going to be the last chapter in the daily life of Jesus so this story right here mark 14 is the last public day he has on the earth he's about to go into a mock trial He's going to be beaten. He's going to go on the cross. He's going to die. We're going to celebrate just in a few weeks 
this powerful thing called Easter. We'll be looking at that, how Mark brings us to that. But this is his last day out in public, and it's taken away from him. And this is the reality, verse 50. Then all his disciples deserted him and ran away. You know, when I was putting all this together, I thought, well, so much for one of the 12. <laughs> no big deal, I guess. It's everybody, including me. Maybe including you. You ever run away from Jesus? I have. All of his disciples ran away. I think all of us have had moments when fear grips us, and we might not say we're running away, but our faith just, we just don't know where it went. If you're here today and you don't really have faith to follow God, I get it. You're not alone. Millions of people just say, I don't understand it. I get it. But I want you to hear me tell you that God never, ever, ever will run away from you. He's running toward you. No, he's not. Yes, he is. He is. That's the little beckoning call that you have with the little knock on your heart occasionally that says, I'd sure love to help you <laughs> with your doubt and your unbelief and your logic and your science and all that because he loves you. Which direction am I moving right now? I start, I start thinking about this. You're all in movement. Something happens, you get caught up in life, and you, you're just not moving toward God. Let's say, let's say this stand is God. It isn't, just so you know. My logic, my life, my family. Am, am I moving or, or am I caught up? I'm busy. I'm worried. I hate this about, I've got to make this horrible decision. Ah, I don't like that. Those people make me so mad. And all of a sudden, the characteristics, if I could say it for some of you who know what the fruit of the Spirit is, love, joy, peace, long-suffering, goodness, meekness, timorous, faith, like that, that's going away. When I look at our world today and I look at what people post and I look at who they are and what they're saying, I see really good people who really have said they love God saying really mean things. Who is that talking? What? Why is that coming out of them? Am I moving toward God or am I moving away from God? I, I remember, you know, I, I know we get impatient. I, we have three kids we used to take him out to see my mom in Springfield, Missouri, the old farms in Kansas, and we would leave from here, and, and we would get in the car, and we'd start driving, and it wouldn't be very long until one of the kids would say, are we there yet? And we would say, no, it's a while. It's a while. And then a few minutes later, they would say, are we there yet? Well, we're a little closer than we were five minutes ago when you asked last time. So I started to say, well, how about, I'll tell you when we're halfway. I'll tell you when we're almost there. But we're going to stop and get snacks up here at the station. Is that good? You know, they love that. It's called bribery. It's really good. Very effective. <laughs> the harsh reality, please hear me, please hear me. 
Sometimes it takes longer than we want it to take when we trust God. We've got to go through a lot of stuff. Judas was in a hurry. Peter was in a hurry. A lot of the mistakes I've made in my life are because I was in a hurry. And I didn't wait for certainty. I didn't wait for the right wisdom. If I ask you if that's your case, I bet a lot of hands would go up. What are we learning from this story? A lot, I hope. Last thing. Love it when pastors say that, don't you? It gives you hope. It's kind of like, last thing, in conclusion. I've called it the mystery man. Now, I'm going to tell you this is a little weird. The mystery man. It's, it's odd. And so, normally, if a pastor would speak on this topic, they would stop at verse 50. But we've committed to do every verse in the book of Mark, so here we go. One young man following behind was clothed only in a long linen shirt. When the mob tried to grab him, he slipped out of his shirt and ran away naked. This is where streaking started. (laughs) This is the text. It's bizarre. So why is Mark telling us this? Some say maybe it was Mark. Others, and, but here's, here's what I want you to know. That culture did, it was probably that outer cloak that I'm talking about, linen. And someone was curious enough and saw the happening on the hill there, Mount of Olives, if you've been there, and you, it's up on a hill, you're looking down at Jerusalem, and they were hiding behind one of those trees, and they're watching the whole thing unfold. And they weren't prepared for all the commotion, and they just had this linen cloak on, and it exploded. Everything happened. There's dust and dirt and swords and clubs, and people are screaming and yelling, and it's night, and nobody knows who's going to get killed and who isn't. It's a panic moment. And I want you to have this in your mind, because this, this term, he was naked, fits in this scenario. It was dark. They were alone. There was anger. There was violence. There were weapons. There was despair and and betrayal. There was false accusation. And it's so fitting to have this last moment pictured by the nakedness of what the shame of humanity can bring without God. Goes clear back to the garden. Adam, Eve, They knew they were naked and they were ashamed. Let's pray. Lord, there's something in us right now that we just need to come to you and bring everything we are. In our nakedness, in our shame, in our grief, in our worry. Would you just give some thought would you give some real thought to a couple of things right here? Don't, don't hurry through this. What kind of a friend are you? Is, it, is there a little Judas in you? Is there some Peter moments when I'm overreacting? 
What kind of friends are you around? Who is, who is influencing you? Think of them. Who are they? How are they influencing you? Is it pushing you toward Jesus or away from Jesus? What makes me run away? What makes me just want to leave the whole scene? Can I handle my own nakedness, my own shame? Lord, we sure do need you. And I just pray right now for every person in this room that needs to run to you. Maybe it's a prodigal who wakes up wanting to eat what the pigs are eating. They need dad. Or maybe it's someone who's highly intelligent, highly effective, well off in this life, but their heart is empty. And there is a need for relationship and meaning that's not surface or empty. And you are the only one who can fill that void. We run to you today, Lord. I'm going to pray specifically over over people. I've done this all weekend. I just felt prompted this week to ask you this question. Whatever it is that you're troubling, you're being troubled about, whatever relationship, right now you'd like to hand that into the hands of God. You're running to put it in the hands of God. You can't fix it. You can't do it. You're worrying about it. You're fretting over it. And it's a close, personal relationship, and it matters. And you've got to hand it over to God. Whether you believe in God or not, if you know you've got to hand it over to someone more powerful than you, would you just slip up a hand and put it right back down? You're lifting it to God, not to me. Just pick it up and put it right back down right now. God bless you. I'm going to pray for you. Lord, you see all that's in our hearts about this situation. You know all. And so the best we can do is just to give it to you. You already know every detail. You know our motives, their motives, the words, the harsh words, the loving words, the care, the lack of care. You know all of it. So right now, we give it to you. We lay it on you. And we say that's enough for now. If there's an action step besides drawing our sword and cutting somebody, show us what that is. Show us how to wait. Show us how to trust that your plan is bigger than ours but it might take longer than we want. Give us that tenacious desire to trust you and to believe in you because you have a plan. Lord, if there's anyone in here, either online or here in this room or in another auditorium in traditions right now, God, if if they're separated from you, I just pray, if, if you're separated from God right now, just whisper it. Lord, I need you. Lord, I need you. I open my heart to you. And just start. Just start there. Start there. We'll help you. We pray all these things, Lord, in your name. Amen. Amen. I sure love you guys. I'm proud of you. Fun doing life with you. Tough story. But God's able and he's with you and he loves you. He believes in you. Hey, the words of this song we're going to end with are very powerful. And I want you to just kind of say them and read them and think about them as you do it. And we're going to stand, if you would. I would like our prayer team to go ahead and come. For those of you that just want someone to pray over you today, we're going to be up here to do that. Sing it. Matthew, lead us. Sing this song. Think about the words. Who pulled me out of that pain? He did. He 
Timberline.